Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Saturday, February 18th episode. That should be episode, I believe it's 171 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host, and the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely recommend you get over there and take a look. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ out there uh, doing a lot of great work. There's a lot of great listening out there, and it's definitely worth your while. Uh, I also want to remind you of the last link in the show notes. That is a link to the Vail Valley Baptist Church Gifts and Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can shift gears and we can establish a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative for our community. So, you know, I, w- I would ask you to go ahead, go ahead and click on the link and you can read a much better description than I've just given you and be more in detail, give you an idea of what, what we're doing. And then we'd ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask for you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we'd ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same thing. Um, You know, it's totally up to you. And let's see. So we're going to go ahead and get on with our reading this morning. Um, I do want to let you know. So I'm swapping up how I'm doing things. Um, This is to be able to give me just a little bit of a break. So what I'm going to be doing from here on out is I'll be doing Bible study Monday through Friday evenings, and then Saturday and Sunday evenings I'll be doing readings. And so, like I had mentioned before, we're going to be reading this evening and tomorrow evening from The Godly Man's Picture from Thomas Watson, and we will continue to do that till we finish that, and then we'll find another book. So we're going to do that. That gives me a chance on the weekends to take a little bit of a break of from trying to get messages together, but also let me, let me get a little bit of a head. So I'm not quite running right on the ragged edge there. So, just to let you know that, so hopefully you'll be with us with the evening segment, and you'll get to, we'll get to hear the, you'll get to hear the beginning of this doing a reading. So, let's go ahead and open up this morning with our seventh day morning prayer. It's called God's Good Pleasure. God's Good Pleasure. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme in heaven and earth, and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives. But, O God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, eternal life. Thou art the inviting one, may we hearken to thee, the almighty instructor, teach us to live to thee, the light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyment of it nothing can make us miserable." Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are. To recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach thee clothed with humility. For vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. All right, now our morning devotion for February 18th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is from Job chapter 10, verse 2. Shew me wherefore thou contendest with me. Perhaps, O tried soul, the Lord is doing this to develop thy graces. 
There are some of thy graces which would never be discovered if it were not for thy trials. Dost thou not know that thy faith never looks so grand in summer weather as it does in winter? Love is too often like a glowworm, showing but little light, except it be in the midst of surrounding darkness. Hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, and only to be de- to be discovered in the night of adversity. Afflictions are often the black foils in which God doth set the jewels of his children's graces, to make them shine the, the better. It was but a little while ago that on thy knees thou wast saying, Lord, I fear I have no faith. Let me know that I have faith. Was not this really, though perhaps unconsciously, praying for trials? For how canst thou know that thou hast faith until thy faith is exercised? Depend upon it. God often sends us trials that our graces may be discovered and that we may be certified of their existence. Besides, it is not merely discovery. Real growth in grace is the result of sanctified trials. God often takes away our comforts and our privileges in order to make us better. And I'm sorry, in order to make us better Christians. He trains his soldiers, not in tents of ease and luxury, but by turning them out and using them to for and using them to force sorry and using them to forced marches and hard service he makes them ford through streams and swim through rivers and climb mountains and walk many a long mile with, sorry with heavy knapsacks of sorrow on their backs well christian may not this account for the troubles through which thou art passing is not the lord bringing out your graces and making them grow is not this the reason why he is contending with you Trials make the promise sweet. Trials give new life to prayer. Trials bring me to his feet. Lay me low and keep me there. All right. Now we're going to get into our reading for this evening. We're going to be reading in Leviticus 6 and then into Leviticus 7. Um, We're going to be reading from Mark 3, um, some of the beginning of Psalm 37, and then Proverbs 10, verses 3 and 4. So let's start reading in Leviticus 6, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and acts unfaithfully against Yahweh and deals falsely with his companion in regard to a deposit or a security entrusted to him or through robbery, or if he is extorted from his companion, or has found what was lost and dealt falsely about it and sworn falsely so that he sins in regard to any one of the things a man may do, then it shall be when he sins and becomes guilty that he shall return what he took by robbery, or what he got by extortion, or the deposit which was entrusted to him, or the lost thing which he found, or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it in full, and add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. Then he shall bring to the priest his guilt offering to Yahweh, a ram without blemish from the flock, according to your valuation, for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before Yahweh, and he will be forgiven for any one of the things which he may have done to incur guilt. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law for the burnt offering. The burnt offering itself shall remain on the hearth on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen robe, and he shall put on undergarments next to his flesh, and he shall raise up the ashes to which the fire reduces the burnt offering on the altar, and place them beside the altar. Then he shall take off the garments, and put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out, but the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it, and offer up and smoke the fat portions of the peace offering on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It shall not go out. Now this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall bring it near before Yahweh in front of the altar. Then one of them shall raise up from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering, with its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering, and he shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, a soothing aroma, as its memorial offering to Yahweh. What is left of it Aaron and his son shall eat. It shall be eaten as unleavened cakes in a holy place. They shall eat it in the court of the tent of meeting. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their share from my offerings by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the sons of Aaron may eat it. 
It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. From the offerings by fire to Yahweh, whoever touches them will be set apart as holy. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering which Aaron and his sons shall bring near to Yahweh on the day when he is anointed, the tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it in the evening. It shall be prepared with oil on a griddle. With it, is, when it is well stirred, you shall bring it. You shall bring near the grain offering and bake pieces as a soothing aroma to Yahweh. And the anointed priest who will be in his place among his sons shall offer it. By a perpetual statute it shall be entirely offered up in smoke to Yahweh. So every grain offering of the priest shall be burned entirely. It shall not be eaten. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered, the sin offering shall be slaughtered before Yahweh. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place, in the court of the tent of meeting. Anyone who touches its flesh will be set apart as holy, and when any of its blood sprinkles on a garment in a holy place, you shall wash what was sprinkled on. Also the earthenware vessel in which it was boiled shall be broken, and if it was boiled in a bronze vessel, then it shall be scoured and rinsed in water. And every male among the priests may eat of it, it is most holy. But no sin offering of which any of the blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. All right, Leviticus uh, 7, verses 1 through 27. <clears throat> now this is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they slaughter the burnt offering, they are to slaughter the guilt offering. And he shall splash its blood around on the altar. Then he shall bring near from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe on the liver he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as an offering by fire to Yahweh. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. Also the priest who brings near any man's burnt offerings, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has brought near. Likewise every green offering that is baked in the oven and everything prepared in a pan or on a griddle shall belong to the priest who brings it near. And every green offering mixed with oil or dry shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to all alike. Now this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which shall be brought near to Yahweh. If he brings it near for thanksgiving, then along with the sacrifice of thanksgiving he shall bring near unleavened cakes, mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil, and cakes of well-stirred fine flour mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring near his offering with cakes of leavened bread. Of this he shall bring near, one of every offering as a contribution to Yahweh. It shall belong to the priest who splashes the blood of the peace offering. Now as for the flesh of the sacrifice of his thanksgiving peace offerings, it shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it over until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a votive or a freewill offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he brings near his sacrifice, and on the next day what is left of it may be eaten. But what is left over from the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned with fire. So if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering should ever be eaten on the third day, he who brings it near will not be accepted, and it will not be counted to his benefit. It shall be an offensive thing, and the person who eats of it will bear his own iniquity. Also the flesh that touches anything unclean shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. As for other flesh, anyone who is clean may not may eat such flesh. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which belong to Yahweh, in his uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from his people. When anyone touches anything unclean, whether human uncleanness, or an unclean animal, or any unclean detestable thing, and eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which belong to Yahweh, that person shall be cut off from his people. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat from an ox or a sheep or a goat. Also the fat of an animal which dies, and the fat of an animal torn by beasts, may be put to any other use, but you must certainly not eat it. 
For whoever eats the fat of the animal from which an offering by fire is brought near to Yahweh, even the person who eats shall be cut off from his people. And you shall not eat any blood, either of bird or animal, in any of your places of habitation. Any person who eats any blood, even that person shall be cut off from his people. All right, now Mark 7, verses 7 through 30. There we go. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Leaving the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, You are good at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever you might benefit from me is Corban, that is to say, given to God. You no longer leave him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. And after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples were asking him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you lacking understanding in this way, in this way as well? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and goes in the sewer. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Now Jesus stood up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he was wanting no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek of Syrophoenician descent, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has got out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. All right. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Of David. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward doers of unrighteousness. For they will wither quickly like the grass, and fade like the green herb. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Be still in Yahweh, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out schemes of wickedness. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who hope for Yahweh, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully at his place, and he will not be there. But the lowly will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant peace. And finally, Proverbs 10, verses 3 and 4. Yahweh will not allow the soul of the righteous to hunger, but he will push away the cravings of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. All right, well, that is our reading for today. I hope you're looking forward to a great, great Saturday. I hope you have much, much planned. I hope you're set up for worship this weekend, whether Saturday night or Sunday. Definitely, I would encourage you to worship with the saints Um, I hope you have a great day. I would definitely continue to implore you to go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, And so let's go ahead and let's close close out in prayer. Uh, The prayer we're going to close with, excuse me, from Valley of Vision is called A Cry for Deliverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Save me entirely from sin. I know I am righteous through the righteousness of another, but I pant and pine for likeness to thyself. I am thy child and should bear thy image. Enable me to recognize my death unto sin. When it tempts me, may I be deaf unto its voice. Deliver me from the invasion as well as the dominion of sin. Grant me to walk as Christ walked, to live in the newness of his life, the life of love, the life of faith, the life of holiness. I abhor my body of death, its indolence, envy, meanness, pride. Forgive and kill these vices, have mercy on my unbelief, on my corrupt and wandering heart. When thy blessings come, I begin to idolize them, and set my affection on some beloved object. Children, friends, wealth, honor, cleanse this spiritual adultery and give me chastity. Close my heart to all but thee. Sin is my greatest curse. Let thy victory be apparent to my consciousness and displayed in my life. Help me to be always devoted, confident, obedient, resigned, childlike in my trust of thee. To love thee with soul, body, mind, strength. To love my fellow man as I love myself. To be saved from unregenerate temper, hard thoughts, slanderous words, meanness, unkind manners. To master my tongue and keep the door of my lips. Fill me with grace daily, that my life be a fountain of sweet water. Amen. All right, well again, hope you have a wonderful day and God willing, I will see see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of this Saturday, February 18th episode. That's episode 171 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely recommend that you... uh, Get over there and uh, definitely hunt up some listening. Uh, There's wonderful, wonderful podcasts over there. There are a good number of them. Um, Definitely worth your time to dig in and find yourself some great listening. Great listening for the day, the week, the month. Um, Definitely worth your while. Um, Excuse me. Like Like I mentioned in the morning segment, we are going to change up what we're doing on the weekends For the weekend evening segments, we're going to do reading during the weekend evening segments as opposed to our Bible study. So this is going to be our first night of that. So let's go ahead and get started. We're reading, we will be reading tonight from um, Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture, and we'll work our way through that over the next number of weekends until we finish that, and then we'll pick something else. So maybe it'll be a sermon, maybe it'll be another Puritan book, who knows. But, so we can get into that, let's go ahead and get started this evening with the Lord's Day Eve prayer, with it being Saturday, the Lord's Day Eve prayer. Let's pray. God of the passing hour, another week has gone, and I have been preserved, in my going out, in my coming in. Thine has been the vigilance that has turned threatened evils aside. Thine the supplies that have nourished me. Thine the comforts that have indulged me. Thine the relations and friends that have delighted me. Thine the means of grace which have edified me. Thine the book which amidst all my enjoyments has told me that this is not my test, that in all successes one thing alone is needful, to love my Savior. Nothing can equal the number of thy mercies, but my imperfections and sins. These, O God, I will neither conceal nor palliate, but confess with a broken heart. And what condition would secret reviews of my life leave me, were it not for the assurance that with thee there is plenteous redemption, that thou art a forgiving God, that thou mayest be feared. While I hope for pardon through the blood of the cross, I pray to be clothed with humility, to be quickened in thy way, to be more devoted to thee, to keep the end of my life in view, to be cured of the folly of delay and indecision, to know how frail I am, to number my days and apply my heart unto wisdom. Amen. All right. Now, we are going to do our evening devotion. The evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 18th. The text is from Luke 15, 18. Father, I have sinned. 
It is quite certain that those whom Christ has washed in his precious blood need not make a confession of sin, as culprits or criminals, before God the judge, for Christ has forever taken away all their sins in a legal sense, so that they no longer stand where they can be condemned, but are once for all accepted in the Beloved. But having become children, and offending and offending as children, ought they not every day to go before their heavenly Father, and confess their sin, and acknowledge their iniquity in that character? Nature teaches that it is the duty of erring children to make a confession to their earthly Father, and the grace of God in the heart teaches us that we, as Christians, owe the same duty to our heavenly Father. We daily offend, and ought not to rest without daily pardon. For supposing that my trespasses against my father are not at once taken to him to be washed away by the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus, what will be the consequences? If I have not sought forgiveness and been washed from these offenses against my father, I shall feel at a distance from him. I shall doubt his love to me. I shall tremble at him. I shall be afraid to pray to him. I shall grow like the prodigal, who, although still a child, was yet far off from his father. But if with a child's sorrow at offending so gracious and loving a parent, I go to him and tell him all, and rest not till I realize that I am forgiven. Then I shall feel a holy love to my father, and shall go through my Christian career, not only as saved, but as one enjoying present peace in God through Jesus Christ my Lord. There is a wide distinction between confessing sin as a culprit and confessing sin as a child. The father's bosom is the place for penitent confessions. We have been cleansed once for all, but our feet still need to be washed from the defilement of our daily walk as children of God. All right, well, like I said, we're going to be doing reading this evening, um, and we're going to see how this works. Um, one, I'm reading in a room that is not, not that bright, and it's going to be interesting reading over the microphone. I don't have a boom mic. I've got a stand mic sitting in front of me on the table, so we'll see how this goes. But what we're going to do, we are going to start with, um, we're going to read every section of this. Um, so this starts out with uh, a to the reader section and then a couple that are titled from scripture verses and stuff. So we'll do that. And then it goes into showing the characteristics of a godly man. And we'll work our way into that. And we'll just see how far we get tonight. And then we'll, you know, do the same thing tomorrow night and into next weekend. So again, this is Thomas Watson's the godly man's picture. You can get these. These are Puritan paperbacks um, that you can get. And I think it's from, who's the publisher? The Banner of Truth Trust. So I, Banner of Truth, I'm sure you can go over there and find them, but you may be able to find them other places as well. Um, and I don't know which ones are cheaper. All right. So the godly man's picture. So we're going to read this first section to the reader, Christian reader, the soul being so precious and salvation so glorious. It is the highest point of prudence to make preparations for another world. It is beyond all dispute that there is an inheritance in light, and it is most strenuously asserted in Holy Scripture that there must be a fitness and suitability for it. Colossians 1.12 If anyone ask, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? The answer is, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24.4 To describe such a person in the work of this I'm sorry, to describe such a person is the work of this ensuing treatise. Here you have the godly man's portrait, and see him portrayed in his full lineaments. What a rare thing godliness is. It is not airy and puffed up, but solid and such as will take up the heart and spirits. Godliness consists in an exact harmony between holy principles and practices. O oh, that all into whose hands this book shall providentially come may be so enamored with piety as to embrace it heartily. So sublime is godliness that it cannot be delineated in its perfect radiance and luster. Though an angel should take the pencil, godliness is... Though an angel should take the pencil, excuse me. Godliness is our wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Job twenty-eight twenty-eight. Policy without piety is profound madness. Godliness is a spiritual queen, and whoever marries her is sure of a large dowry with her. Godliness has the promise of the present life and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4.8 Godliness gives assurance, yes, holy triumph in God, and how sweet that is. Isaiah 
It was old Latimer who said, when sometimes I sit alone and have a settled assurance of the state of my soul and know that God is my God, I can laugh at all troubles and nothing can daunt me. Godliness puts a man in heaven before his time. Christian, aspire after piety. It is a lawful ambition. Look at the saints' characteristics here and never leave off till you have got them stamped upon your own soul. This is the grand business that should swallow up your time and thoughts. Other speculations and quaint notions are nothing to the soul. They are like wafers which have fine works printed upon them and are curiously damasked to the eye, but are thin and yield little nourishment. But I will not keep you longer in the porch. Should I have enlarged upon any one characteristic of the godly man, it would have required a volume. But designed to go over many, I have contracted my sales and given you only a brief summary of things. If this piece, however undigested, conduces to the good of souls, I shall have my desire. That the God of grace will effectually accomplish this shall be the prayer of him who is. Yours in all Christian affection, Thomas Watson. So that was a letter of Thomas Watson to us as the readers. So this first section here is titled, For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee from Psalm 32, 6. Holy David, at the beginning of this psalm, shows us wherein true happiness consists, not in beauty, honor, riches, the world's trinity, but in the forgiveness of sin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, verse 1. The Hebrew word to forgive signifies to carry out of sight, which agrees with the words of Jeremiah. In those days, saith the Lord, the sins of Judah shall be sought for, and they shall not be found, Jeremiah 50.20. This is an incomprehensible blessing, and such as lays a foundation for all other mercies. I shall just glance at it and lay down these five assertions about it. So this is based on Psalm 32. Section 1. Forgiveness of sin is an act of God's free grace. The Greek word for forgive, charizomai, makes clear the source of pardon. Pardon does not arise from anything inherent in us, but is the pure result of free grace, charis. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, Isaiah 43.25. When a creditor forgives a debtor, he does it freely. Pardon of sin is a fine thread, spun out of the heart of free grace. Paul cries out, I obtained mercy, 1 Timothy 1.13. I was be mercified. He who is pardoned is all bestrown with mercy. When the Lord pardons a sinner, he does not pay a debt, but gives a legacy. Number two, God in forgiving sin remits the guilt and penalty. Guilt cries for justice. No sooner had Adam eaten the apple than he saw the flaming sword and heard the curse. But in remission, God indulges the sinner. He seems to say to him, Though you have fallen into the hands of my justice and deserve to die, yet I will absolve you, and whatever is charged against you shall be discharged. Forgiveness of sin is through the blood of Christ. Free grace is the impulsive cause. Christ's blood is the meritorious. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Hebrews 9.22 Justice would be revenged either on the sinner or on the surety. Every pardon is the price of blood. Number four. Before sin is forgiven, it must be repented of. Therefore, repentance and remission are linked together. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Luke 24, 47. Not that repentance is a popish sense, in a popish sense merits forgiveness. Christ's blood must wash out, I'm sorry, Christ's blood must wash our tears away. But repentance is a qualification, though not a cause. He who is humble for sin will value pardoning mercy the more. When there is nothing in the soul but clouds of sorrow, and now God brings a pardon, which is a setting up of a rainbow in the cloud, to tell the sinner that the flood of wrath shall not overflow him. Oh, what a joy there is at the sight of this rainbow. The soul that before was steeped in tears now melts in love to God. Luke seven thirty-eight and 47. Number 5. God, having forgiven sin, he will no longer call it to remembrance. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. The Lord will make an act of indemnity. He will not abr- abrade us with former unkindness, nor 
sue us with a canceled bond. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7.19 Sin shall not be cast in like cork which rises up again, but like lead which sinks to the bottom. How we should all labor for this covenant blessing. Um, sub point one. How sad is it to lack it? It must of necessity go badly with the with the malefactor who lacks his pardon. Oh, sorry, I had to remove my glasses there. Lacks his pardon. All the curses of God stand in full force against the unpardoned sinner. His very blessings are cursed. Malachi two two. Caesar wondered at one of his soldiers who was to merit who was so merry when he was in debt. Can the sinner be merry who is heir to all God's curses and does not know how soon he may take up his lodgings among the damned? Subsection 2. How sweet it is to have it. That's forgiveness. The par- A. The pardoned soul is out of the gunshot of hell. Romans 8.33. Satan may accuse, but Christ will show a discharge. B. The pardoned soul may go to God with boldness in prayer. Guilt clips the wings of prayer so that it cannot fly to the throne of grace. But forgiveness breeds confidence. He who has his pardon may look his prince in the face with comfort. This great mercy of pardon David has had obtained as appears in verse 5. Thou forgavest me. And because he had found God a God of pardons. Nehemiah 9.17. He therefore encouraged others to seek God in the words of the text. For this cause shall every one that is godly pray unto thee. Alright, sorry, I need to get a drink here. Oh, alright, thank you. Now let's get and try. Okay, this next section is called Expounding the Nature of Godliness. And it starts out here with a titling, Everyone That Is Godly. It will first be inquired, what is godliness? I answer in general, godliness is the sacred impression and workmanship of God in a man, whereby from being carnal he is made spiritual. When godliness is wrought in a person, he does not receive a new soul, but he has another spirit. Numbers 14.24 The faculties are not new, but the qualities are. The strings are the same, but the tune is corrected. Concerning godliness, I shall lay down these seven maxims or propositions. Godliness is a real thing. It is not a fantasy, but a fact. Godliness is not the feverish conceit of a sick brain. A Christian is no enthusiast, one whose religion is all made up of fancy. Godliness has truth for its foundation. It is called the way of truth. Psalm 119.30 Godliness is a ray and beam that shines from God. If God is true, then godliness is true. Godliness is an intrinsic thing. It lies chiefly in the heart. Circumcision is that of the heart, Romans 2.29. The dew lies on the leaf. The sap is hidden in the root. The moralist religion is all in the leaf. It consists only in externals. But godliness is a holy sap, which is rooted in the soul. In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom, Psalm 51.6. The Chaldean expounds it in the close place of the heart. Number three, godliness is a supernatural thing. By nature, we inherit nothing but evil. When we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, I'm sorry, the motions of sins did work in our members. Romans 7, 5. We sucked in sin as naturally as our mother's milk, but godliness is the wisdom from above. Um, James 3:17. It is breathed in from heaven. God must light up the lamp of grace in the heart. Weeds grow of themselves. Flowers are planted. Godliness is a celestial plant that comes from the new Jerusalem. Therefore it is called a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 A man has no more power to change himself than to create himself. Number 4. Godliness is an extensive thing. It is a sacred leaven that spreads itself into the whole soul. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 There is light in the understanding, order in the affections, pliableness in the will, exemplariness in the life. We do not call a black man white because he has white teeth. He who is good only in some parts 
part is not godly. Grace is called the new man. Colossians 3.10 Not a new eye or tongue, but a new man. He who is godly is good all over. Though he is regenerate only in part, yet it is in every part. Number 5. Godliness is an intense thing. It does not lie in a dead formality and indifference, but is vigorous and flaming, fervent in spirit. Romans 12.11 We call water hot when it is so in the third or fourth degree. He whose devotion is inflamed is godly, and his heart boils over in holy affections. Number 6. Godliness is a glorious thing. As the jewel to the ring, so is piety to the soul, bespangling it in God's eye. Reason makes us men. Godliness makes us earthly angels. By it we partake of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 Godliness is near akin to glory. Glory and virtue. 2 Peter 1.3 Godliness is glory in the seed, and glory is godliness in the flower. Number 7. Godliness is a permanent thing. Aristotle says names are given from the habit. We do not call the one who blushes sanguine, but the one who is of a ruddy complexion. 1 Samuel 17.42 A blush of godliness is not enough to distinguish a Christian, but godliness must be the temper and complexion of the soil. soul. Godliness is a fixed thing. There is a great deal of difference between a stake in the hedge and a tree in the garden. A stake rots and molders, but a tree having life in it abides and flourishes. When godliness has taken root in the soul, it abides to eternity. His seed remaineth in him. 1 John 3, 9. Godliness being engraved in the heart by the Holy Ghost, as with the point of a diamond, can never be erased. All right. Section number three here. A reproof to such as are only pretenders to godliness. Here is a sharp rebuke to such as are glittering dross. Christians who only make a show of godliness, like Michael, who put an image in the bed and so deceived Saul's messengers, 1 Samuel 19.16. These are Savior calls whited sepulchers, Matthew 23.27. Their beauty is all paint. In ancient times, a third part of the inhabitants of this island were called Picts, he's talking about England there, which signifies painted. It is to be feared that they still retain their old name. How many are painted only with the vermilion of a profession, whose seeming luster dazzles the eyes of beholders, but within there is nothing but putrefaction. Hypocrites are like the swan, which has white feathers, but a black skin, or like the lily, which has a fair color, but a bad scent. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Revelations 3.1 These the Apostle Jude compares to clouds without water. Jude 12. They claim to be full of the Spirit, but they are empty clouds. Their goodness is but a religious cheat. Question. But why do persons content themselves with a show of godliness? Answer. This helps to keep up their fame. Honor me now before the people, 1 Samuel 15.30. Men are ambitious of credit and wish to gain repute in the world. Therefore they, therefore they will dress themselves in the garb and mode of religion, so that others may write them down for saints. But alas, what is one the better for having others commend him and his conscience condemn him? What good will it do a man when he is in hell that others think he has gone to heaven? Oh, beware of this. Counterfeit piety is double iniquity. To have only a show of godliness is a God-enraging sin. The man who is a pretender to saintship, but whose heart tells him he has nothing, but the name carries Christ in his Bible, but not in his heart. Some politic, some politic design spurs him on in the ways of God. He makes religion a lackey to his carnal interest. What is this but to abuse God to his face and to serve the devil in Christ's livery? Hypocrisy makes the fury rise up in God's face. Therefore he calls such persons the generation of his wrath. Isaiah 10.6 God will send them to hell to do penance for their hypocrisy. Number 2. To make only a show of godliness is self-delusion. Ajax in his frenzy took sheep for men. But it is, in a, worse mis but it is a worse mistake to take the show of grace for grace. This is to cheat yourselves. Deceiving your own souls, James 1.22. He who has counterfeit gold instead of true wrongs himself most. 
The hypocrite deceives others while he lives, but deceives himself when he dies. To have only a name and make a show of godliness is odious to God and man. The hypocrite is born under a sad planet. He is abhorred by all. Wicked men hate him because he makes a show, and God hates him because he only makes a show. The wicked hate him because he has so much as a mask of godliness, and God hates him because he has no more. Thou hast almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Acts 26.28 The wicked hate the hypocrite because he is almost a Christian, and God hates him because he is only almost one. Number 4 To be only comets and make a show of piety is a vain thing. Hypocrites lose all they have done. Their dissembling tears drop beside God's bottle. Their prayers and fasts prove abortive. When ye fasted and mourned, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? Zechariah 7.5 As God will not recompense a slothful servant, neither will he recompense a treacherous one. All the hypocrite's reward is in his life. They have their reward, Matthew 6.5. A poor reward, the empty breath of men. The hypocrite may make his receipt and write, Receive in full pay- received in full payment. Augustus Caesar had great triumphs granted him, but the Senate would not allow him to be consul or sit in the Senate house. Hypocrites may have the praise of men, but though these triumphs are granted them, they shall never have the privilege of sitting in the Senate house of heaven. What acceptance can he look for from God, whose heart tells him he is no better than a mountebank in divinity? Number five. To have only a pretense of godliness will yield no comfort at, at death. Will painted gold enrich a man? Will painted wine refresh him who is thirsty? Will the pain of, a God, of godliness stand you in any stead? How were the foolish virgins better for their blazing lamps when they had no oil? What is the lamp of profession without the oil of grace? He who has only a painted holiness shall have a painted happiness. Number six, you who have nothing but a specious pretext and mask of piety expose yourself to Satan's scorn. You shall be brought forth at the last day, as was Samson, to make the devil sport, Judges 16.25. He will say, what has become of your vows, tears, confessions? Has all your religion come to this? Did you so often defy the devil, and have you now come to dwell with me? Could you meet with no weapon to kill you? but what was made of gospel metal? Could you not suck poison anywhere but out of ordinances? Could you find no way to hell but by seeming godly? What a vexation this will be to have the devil thus reproach a man. It is sad to be crowned over in this life. Cleopatra, queen of Egypt, when she saw that she was reserved reserved by the enemy for a triumph, put asps to her breasts and died so that she might avoid the infamy. What then will it be to have the devil triumph over a man at the last day? Let us therefore take heed of this kind of pageantry, or devout stage play. That which may make us fear our hearts the more is when we see tall cedars in the church worm-eaten with hypocrisy. Balaam a prophet, Jehu a king, Judas an apostle, all of them stand to this day on record as hypocrites. It is true that there are the seeds of this sin in the best, but as it was with leprosy under the law, all who had swellings or spots in the skin of the flesh were not reputed unclean and put out of the camp, Leviticus 13.6. So all who have the swellings of hypocrisy in them are not to be judged hypocrites, but these may be the spots of God's children, Deuteronomy 32.5. But that which distinguishes a hypocrite is when hypocrisy is predominant and is like a spreading fluid in the body. Question. What is a man under the dominion and power of hypocrisy? Answer. There are two signs of its predominance. One, a squint eye when one serves God for sinister ends. Two, a good eye when there is some sin dear to a man which he cannot part with. These two are as clear signs of a hypocrite as any I know. Oh, let us take David's candle and lantern and search for this leaven and burn it before the Lord. Christian, if you mourn for hypocrisy, yet find this sin so potent that you cannot get the mastery of it, go to Christ, beg of him that he would exercise his kingly office in your soul, that he would subdue his sin and put it under the yoke. 
beg of Christ to exercise his spiritual surgery upon you. Desire him to lance your heart and cut out the rotten flesh, and that he would apply the medicine of his blood to heal you of your hypocrisy. Say that prayer of David, often let my heart be sound in thy statutes. Psalm 119.80 Lord, let me be anything rather than a hypocrite. Two hearts will be excluded from one heaven. I'm sorry, two hearts will exclude from one heaven. All right. Well, that is going to be our reading for the night. Uh, we'll continue on with section four, showing the characteristics of a godly man, which we'll start breaking this down uh, tomorrow evening. All right. Thank you for spending this time with me this evening and this morning. Um, I'm very appreciative of it. Um, I hope this this reading is going to be helpful for you, will be beneficial to you. Um, Thomas Watson, wonderful, wonderful man, and his writing, wonderful and honestly, of the Puritans, his is his, his tends to be the one that everybody suggests to begin with, um, because it can be it, it seems to be easier to understand some of the Puritans. It, it can be very, very hard because of what they write in. The, the English that they write in can be tough to understand. So I hope, I hope this is beneficial for you as we move along. I mean, I know this was just the first night, so we'll just have to see how that goes. All right, excuse me. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's close out with prayer. We're going to close out as we usually do on Saturday with the seventh day evening prayer. It's called Future Blessing. O Lord God, there is no blessing we implore, but thou art able to give, hast promised to give, hast given already to countless multitudes, all unworthy and guilty like ourselves. Make us willing to receive the supply of our need from thy bounty. To this end, convince us of sin. Soften our hard hearts to bewail our folly, ingratitude, pride, unbelief, rebellion, corruption. Through the law may we die to the law. Then look with wonder, submission, delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name in the salvation of sinners. Give us a hope that makes us not ashamed, a love that excites to holy obedience, a joy in thee that is our strength, a faith in thy Son who loved us and died for us. May we persevere in duty when not fully conscious of thee. Wait upon thee and keep thy way. Be humble and earnest suppliance at thy feet. Live continually as on the brink of eternity. Let us be at thy disposal for the duties and events of life. Submit our preferences to thy wisdom and will. Resign our enjoyments, if thou shouldst require it, as our absolute proprietor and best friend. In our unworthiness and provocations, make us grateful for the means of grace and the ordinances of religion, and teach us to profit by them more than we have done. Help us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, to enter upon the Sabbath mindful of its solemnities, duties, privileges, setting all things worldly aside while we worship Thee. May we know the blessedness of men whose strength is in thee, and in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful night. Um, and I, again, I thank you for spending this time with me. And God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.